Our sins don't define the whole picture of who we are, but grace does. And this, dear friends, is the capital T truth, that we are defined not by our sins, our shortcomings, or our wicked past. We are, as beloved and baptized children of God, first and foremost defined by grace. That's Bishop Regina Hassanali, and today she brings you a powerful message of faith called Always Tell the Truth. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Regina Hassanali, who has served as Bishop of the Southeastern Minnesota Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America since September of 2019. Before being called as Bishop, Regina served a vibrant congregation in rural Southeastern Minnesota. She has a bachelor's in biology health professions from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, and earned her Master of Divinity from Palmer Theological Seminary in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Regina, welcome to Day One. Thank you so much for having me. You've just had your third anniversary as Bishop of the Southeastern Minnesota Synod of the ELCA, and at the time of your election, you were the youngest bishop in the denomination and the first woman elected in your synod. First, introduce us to the Synod and its churches. How are you building God's kingdom there? Ah, the Southeastern Minnesota Synod of the ELCA. I'll start with things uh, that I love about it. Mm. We are a Synod of 167 ELCA congregations. We've got um, about 160 active pastors and deacons and uh, just under 200 retired pastors and deacons. And we are a synod that likes to have fun. (laughs) We are a synod that enjoys one another's company as colleagues. And um, I find us to be a synod that encourages the ministries around us. So our synod includes some small cities like Rochester, Minnesota, which is home of Mayo Clinic, um, and Mankato and Fairmont, and then some, you know, even smaller Red Wing and Northfield, Uh, And then some rural areas. So we have a great diversity in um, our subcultures and in our ways of being church together, but also a long, long history of being church in that place. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's such a gift to walk among people who are connected one to the ground through our subculture of agriculture and the farmers that we have and the land in a way that I think is unique to this part of the country. Um, And the ways that they think about community are really really encouraging as we think about what it means to be a people called into this time and place by God's Spirit. Mm-hmm. I, my hope, one of my hopes for our synod is that we would continue to live into um, the way the Spirit has knit us together for the sake of proclaiming the gospel in the world and continue to see the gifts that one another have to offer so that we could continue to be kind of a force for God's gospel in our area. So, Regina, what might a typical week look like for a Lutheran bishop like you, if there is such a thing? 
<laughs> uh, I would say one of the things that's great about this call is that you start every morning thinking you know what you're going to do. <laughs> and then you're lucky if, if that's how it goes. Um, so a typical week is really dependent on kind of the season of, of life we're in as a church as well. But I try to prioritize time in relationship with congregations and with my pastors and deacons. And so um, that was one of my great learnings, actually, in the beginning of the pandemic. I was miserable for a lot of reasons. Many mm. of us were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was when I realized I hadn't been in a congregation for a Sunday in weeks that I had lost the best part of this call, mm. um, right? When when our congregations weren't meeting in person for a period of time, and I my my invitations to be with congregations rightly ceased, um, I just missed being with people, particularly during Sunday morning coffee hour. Hmm. That is my favorite thing <laughs> to do among my congregations because you get to know people in a different way. So a good week includes a Sunday morning coffee hour. Um, and then one-on-one conversations with my pastors and deacons, and also meeting with congregational leaders in whatever they need and accompanying them and offering them feedback and guidance as they discern how to lead their own congregation well. That's a good typical week. Um, Those are the things I love, the relational aspects and encouraging one another in the work that we're called to, both as rostered and as lay people in this part of the world. So you became bishop mere months before the COVID pandemic, which, as you said, was no fun. How have you and the Synod responded to the unique challenges raised by the pandemic? You know, it was a really um, steep learning curve in Mm. the beginning. I remember in the very, like, first weeks of the pandemic, a pastor reached out to me and said, what are you going to say? And I thought to myself, um, nothing. (laughs) I am not a public health expert. What should I be saying? And so I took a little while to reflect on that. What what am I going to say? What do people need to hear from a bishop? And so one of the things I understood was that my role was partly to push out what we were hearing from the Department of Health. And in Minnesota, the Department of Health was a great partner um, to churches and to judicatory leaders. So we had access there, and that was helpful. But then I really had to think, um, consciously about what kind of voice I wanted to have and what was an appropriate voice for a bishop at this time and place. And I realized that I wanted to use my voice to remind people of what was true, to remind them of who we are as the people of God, and to help point a way about how that truth should impact the way we interacted and lived especially in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I realized that I wasn't being asked to lead necessarily in a way that the Department of Health was leading, but in a way that allowed people to remember the truth of the work of God in the world and how that should impact our daily living, um, then it was much easier to understand what I needed to say. Mm -hmm. Do you see new ways of worship, fellowship, and service arising as a result of these unusual times? Yeah. I mean, obviously online worship, right? Mm -hmm. And that's taking root in so many places. Um, But also congregations getting outside their buildings, um, worshiping in parks and in public settings in ways that are much more accessible to the community, realizing the power of that. Um, And then it's going to sound a bit like the opposite, but then also realizing that one of our greatest assets as a church, particularly in this area, is our square footage. Mm. (laughs) We have some really large buildings. And so we started asking questions about how can we use this asset for the sake of a community. 
um, particularly when we we need space, when schools need space and daycares and preschools and um, when the safest spaces to gather were large spaces. So it was fun to see the ways that the congregations moved outside of their walls, but then also thought of new ways to invite the community inside Mm -hmm. their walls. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that is ministry. All of that is the ministry of the presence of Christ and being the people we're called to be uh, in the midst of the communities we're placed in. And so I think we're just at the beginning, really, of of understanding kind of a new way of being being the church in the communities we're called to. I hope so anyway. Mm-hmm. I hope we continue to be formed and shaped by that. You earned a bachelor's degree in biology health professions. So what happened? How did you experience your calling to ordained ministry? Yes. Well, I'll say I wanted to be a medical missionary. Hmm. <laughs> and then I took organic chemistry, and my <laughs> professor said, you tried really hard. <laughs> That's a pretty clear indication of maybe that you're on the wrong path. <laughs> uh, and so I started to think about what I was good at in terms of, you know, I loved my science classes, but they were, I always felt like I was going uphill. And I'm not somebody who necessarily, you know, strays away from a challenge, Mm -hmm. but um, I just thought to myself, do I want to make my life this hard for another four years of Mm -hmm. medical school? Or do I want to figure out what I'm good at naturally that I really enjoy that will allow me to serve in a similar way? So that was part of it, just an honest assessment of my gifts and being open to using the gifts I actually had instead of the gifts I thought I should have. Um, And then it was partly just a really kind of natural unfolding. I went to seminary. I remember very clearly a classmate saying, so when we're pastors at the end of this, and I thought, wait, that's what we're doing? (laughs) (laughs) I just came to learn. Uh, Mm. And so, and then I remember leading a a parish, you know, my first call in um, Good Hume, Minnesota. And I came home one day and I said to my husband, I just wanted to be a pastor. I, I didn't know I was going to lead an organization. Hmm. And now I'm the bishop. <laughs> so, so it has never been, there's never been for me, I'm going to do this or be this. It's always been um, the next step that felt right and seemed right with a lot of prayer and discernment. Mm-hmm. What am I good at? Where do I feel called to speak? What communities do I feel uh, a connection with? And so, there's something there that I could offer and something I could learn. And how can I use my gifts to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? So it's been much more fluid, I think, than I ever anticipated. You know, when I got elected, because I was young, um, people kind of said, well, what are you going to do after this? Mm. Because a lot of bishops retire. And I won't be old enough. Um, Well, my husband tells me I won't be old enough. I would (laughs) like to argue (laughs) that retirement could be possible. Um, And I I guess I could kind of just have said, I don't know. But I know that there will be something because— that's how my life has gone so far. God has always had something in store, and it's never actually really been what I imagined it would be. And that's probably better. Otherwise, right now, I'd be a, um, you know, probably a medical school flunky. <laughs> <laughs> well, this Sunday, many churches observe Reformation Sunday. What's that about? Mm. You know, for me, the heart of the Reformation is um, a realization within the people of God that relationship with Christ is accessible to all of us and each of us, that an encounter with the Holy Scriptures ought to be something we can each have and all have, Mm. and that we are wholly anchored in God's grace. Mm. 
for me, Reformation is about that kind of understanding taking hold of us and then living in response to it. Mm-hmm. And the freedom that comes in that, really, in the, the freedom that comes out of that kind of understanding and encounter with grace, it's life-changing. Obviously. It changed, right? It changed the trajectory of, of political and religious history. And it can still do that for us, I think. Well, Regina, your sermon today draws from the gospel reading for this Sunday from John chapter 8. Would you read it for us? I'd be happy to. A reading from the gospel of John. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus here teaches about freedom and what it means for his disciples. What stood out for you in this text as you prepared your sermon? The way Jesus still makes us free. Mm. And the way so many of us still don't realize we need to be set free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is the great thing about Jesus and the Gospels, uh, that right truth doesn't really go out of style. Mm. It doesn't fade. It's not trendy. Um, we may not like it all of the time, but the truth of God's grace, goodness, and freedom, and the reality that we need it, all of those things still remain. And I just cannot get over the great gift that that is and how transformative that is for individuals and then communities when we understand the freedom that Christ offers through grace. Well, your message is titled, Always Tell the Truth. Regina, thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. Week after week, Day One proclaims God's hope for our hurting and divided world. But we can't do it without your help. Please mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or call us at 404-815-9110. Or give securely online at dayone.org. Thank you, and God bless you. On a lined post-it sitting next to the wood slab desk my husband attached to our bedroom wall in the beginning days of the pandemic, I have written the words, tell the truth, always tell the truth. I wrote those words on that post-it after a conversation with a dear colleague and friend. I had called him for wise counsel. It had fallen to me to deliver some hard news to a people not expecting it. What do I tell them? I lamented aloud. And along came his reply. You tell them the truth. Always tell the truth.
It seems an odd phrase to need to write down and post on the wall. I wrote it not because I've ever had any problem telling the truth, but because sometimes I need an anchoring word when I know the truth is going to be hard to tell. And sometimes the truth is hard to believe. In today's reading from the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus say, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And after a bit of discourse with his disciples, Jesus continues, If I make you free, you will be free indeed. This is the capital T truth. In the work of God, in the person of Jesus Christ, we are made free. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel of John. And at the end of John's Gospel, we hear Jesus say, Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, before Pilate's infamous retort, What is truth? There is no irony lost on the fact that the truth embodied, capital T Truth, is standing right in front of him in human form. But still, it seems a fair question. What is truth? Perhaps an even more pertinent question, in an age when we have come to talk about personal understandings and experiences as personal truths, we are encouraged to speak our truth and give others a space to speak theirs, and those, of course, are words we must speak and hear. Yet for the sake of today's gospel lesson, I want to invite us as followers of Jesus to think about the fact that all our truth comes to be rooted in what my friend Bishop Leila Ortiz has called the capital T truth, the person of Jesus the Christ. The truth of what Christ has done and what that means for us individually and collectively is a truth that subsumes all others. It does not negate our personal stories or lives, and yet, the capital T truth is bigger than our individual parts. In one of my favorite quotes, the late Senator Edward M. Kennedy wrote, Our sins don't define the whole picture of who we are. If you know the story of Ted Kennedy's life, you may know that he might have been a man who could be, in the public eye, wholly defined by his sin, his folly, and the mistakes that he made. That there is a public definition of him at all has mostly to do with his family name, and I can't help but wonder if the truth he offers in those words aren't in part an effort to refuse to have his life summed up by tragedy and indiscretion. If Mr. Kennedy were still alive today, I should like to call him and ponder aloud. It is true what you say. Our sins don't define the whole picture of who we are, but grace does. And I like to think he would agree. And this, dear friends, is the capital T truth, that we are defined not by our sins, our shortcomings, or our wicked past, We are, as beloved and baptized children of God, first and foremost defined by grace. And this is the truth. It is a truth that is sometimes hard to believe, almost as though it is too good to be true. It is a truth we need reminding of again and again until it takes root 
and forms us from the inside out. I'd be remiss, as a bishop in the Lutheran Church, if I failed to somehow mention Martin Luther on this Reformation Sunday, because the truth is, this is the great gift of our Lutheran heritage, an unshakable understanding that who we are is first and foremost defined by grace. When I was a girl of 10 or 12 years, I had a life-changing encounter with grace. I can't really describe it other than to say, in a moment filled with the work of the Holy Spirit, led in prayer by a preacher on a stage, I felt, in the aftermath of a word of forgiveness and grace, a sudden change, as though a burden had been lifted from my shoulders, and I had, in some way, been saved. From that moment on, my life has never been the same. I have found myself, since that encounter with God's grace as a young girl, living in a freedom I can only hope to describe. When Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, I know some of what he means. I have experienced, as I have learned to trust more and more who I am in Christ, a profound freedom in the truth that defines me the truth that defines each of us and all of us as children of God through the work of Jesus Christ. It is true, as the late Senator Kennedy said, our sins don't define the whole picture of who we are. But grace does. And living in that grace, we are made free. Not free to go on sinning, as the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans, but to live in the abundant life Jesus came to give. To live as those who have been made free. To live grounded and defined by the capital T truth of who we are because of who we are in Christ. This grace is in so many ways so unfathomable that we can forget it is true. We can, in our worst or weakest moments, fail to remember who we are fail to believe that grace defines us and that the truth of the work of Christ is a truth that consumes all others. For ELCA Lutherans, this leaning into our true identity begins in baptism. That is, essentially, what baptism is, a public claiming and proclaiming of who we are, children of God. In our liturgy for baptism, parents, godparents, and congregation all make promises in relation to the newly baptized and the lifetime journey of discipleship on which they are embarking. It's a really big deal. And at the end of the liturgy, I always ask the congregation to make one more promise. After the water has been poured, the candle has been lit, and the child is in the pastor's arms, the liturgy goes like this. The world will call you many things. The world will try to rename you. But today we echo the voice of the triune God. Today we call you beloved child. And the congregation responds, When we see you begin to wonder if this new name is really yours, we promise to remind you, you are indeed a child of God. I wrote this part of the liturgy, and when I did, I had two things in mind. The first I wanted to find words to help my congregation understand what exactly their role in baptism was. I wanted them to remember, with every baptism we had, that they were themselves a child of God, and that they were, 
as fellow believers, called to help one another remember this. And the second was the image of a middle school kid. That age, for so many of us, when we are trying to figure out who we are in relation to our family and friends. An age in which our identity seems so perilous. I wanted to create a culture within my congregation of reminding one another of the truth of who we are, especially when it's hard for us to remember ourselves. The unfathomable gift of grace is that you are a beloved child of God, even when you can scarcely believe it. This is the capital T truth. This is who we really are. We are not defined by our past, our mistakes, or our sins. We are defined by the holy, healing grace of God. This is who you are, and this is the truth that makes us free. We have been set free from the sin that binds us and clamors to define us, and instead, we are defined by the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. This knowledge of who we are, when we really begin to understand it, to believe it, is a freedom unlike any other. And this, I think, is a foretaste of the freedom of which Christ speaks in the Gospel of John. This is the good news of salvation, dear friends, that in Christ and in the truth of who Christ is, we are made free, no longer defined or owned by what we have done or left undone, but wholly defined by what God has done for us in the salvation known through the Son. When this truth becomes our subsuming truth, our capital T truth, we are set free indeed. In the name of Christ, amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, you are so good to us, making us and calling us your own. And yet we sometimes forget who we are. We sometimes forget who our neighbors are. So give us eyes to see that each of us and all of us are made by you to bear your image in the world. Give us hearts that live in a way that remembers and reminds us and those around us of our truest and deepest identity. Help us to be a people who claim our truth in the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Regina Hassanelli, Bishop of the Southeast Minnesota Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, based in Rochester, Minnesota. For a free transcript of her sermon today, always tell the truth. Call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day One depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. We're grateful for your help. I'm Peter Wallace. Next week on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. Noel Schoonmaker, Senior Pastor of Second Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. His powerful sermon is called God of the Living. Be sure to join us next time on Day One.
Now, our Day One preacher, Regina Hassanelli, offers some final reflections on her sermon today, Always Tell the Truth. And Regina, thank you for your liberating word. You told us about the post-it note you have stuck next to your desk, which reads, Tell the Truth, Always Tell the Truth. You posted that not because you have trouble telling the truth and need the reminder, but because you said you need an anchoring word when you know the truth is going to be hard to tell. And sometimes the truth is hard to believe. I wonder if you'd say more about how we can prepare ourselves to share truth that may be hard to tell or sound too good to be true. Hmm. Um, When I became bishop, one of the first things I learned that was, I think, a little surprising was how often I had to say things to people that I knew they were not going to want to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And... That took actually an emotional toll on me. Mm. It's not fun to be the bearer of news that is hard for others. So I developed a practice in which I would picture myself standing rooted in baptismal waters. And I would remember who I actually am, what I hear about who I actually am in the promises of baptism, Mm. that I am a child of God, that my identity is shaped by that. That gave me courage then to tell the truth about um, whatever might be happening, right? Whatever hard word I might need to deliver to an individual or a congregation. If I started from a place of remembering the truth about who I am and what I am called to do, then the truth became much easier to speak Maybe because it removed a bit of me from the equation. Mm. It helped me remember that my work is not about me or what I do, but about um, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we learn from Paul in Ephesians that we are called to speak the truth in love. And when we do that, even if it's a hard word, a hard truth, it leads to the type of freedom that Christ is talking about in the gospel of John. I think it's good for me to remember That sometimes the truth is a hard word to hear and that the truth leads to freedom. So even if it's a hard word to hear, it doesn't mean we shouldn't say it because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or make anyone uncomfortable. But when we speak the truth in love, it leads to the type of freedom that Christ talks about in the Gospel of John. So that was part of it for me is remembering that the truth of who I am before I had to tell a truth that was hard to hear. Mm. This is the capital T truth, you said, in the work of God and the person of Jesus Christ, we are made free. We're not defined by our sins, our shortcomings, or our wicked past. We are, as beloved children of God, first and foremost, defined by grace. And that can be hard to believe, too good to be true. So would you say more about what grace is and how we can accept God's grace? Sure. I had a colleague who uh, was in one of our congregations a couple weeks ago, and the children's sermon was about grace. Mm. And the children's pastor gave all of the kids glitter, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which if you've ever worked with glitter, you might be getting nervous right now. But she gave all the kids glitter to help them see that grace is a bit like glitter in that it gets everywhere. Mm. And and that when it gets everywhere, it kind of sticks as well. Grace is something that we are freely given through God's goodness. And it's what we, the word we put to, kind of this idea that though we are imperfect and make mistakes, that a good, good God looks at us with love 
and calls us beloved child. Mm. And for our theological understanding, particularly as Lutherans, that we can't earn that, Mm -hmm. that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves worthy enough of God's goodness and love. That fact that God just lavishes it upon us is grace. The challenge is it's so unbelievable, (laughs) so (laughs) unexpected, that sometimes we can't believe it. Um, And that there are all these, I think, other voices and forces in the world around us that try to tell us we're defined by something other than God's grace. And so it's really, I would say, the work of the Holy Spirit alone that allows us to live in that reality, to trust the reality of, um, of who we are in Christ, of what grace says about us. But the Holy Spirit works through people as well, which is why I tried to point out in that baptism liturgy, we have a role to play in reminding one another about who we truly are. We can be vessels of God's grace for the people around us and to help one another believe what can sometimes be unbelievable. Mm. Regina, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I hope that they are reminded of the truth of who they are Mm. in Christ. And I hope that out of that reminder, out of that internal deep knowledge of who they are in Christ— they are able to speak that truth to the people they encounter. My hope is that we can learn to actually see one another as who we are in Christ and treat one another accordingly. Amen. Bishop Regina Hassanali, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.